What exactly do highly successful, purpose-driven CEOs and entrepreneurs actually do? The CEO role is one of the most mysterious positions in business, and a purpose-driven CEO is a different breed entirely. I know because I coach purpose-driven CEOs. My job gives me a unique behind-the-scenes vantage point into their world. For years, I've wished there was a way I could share the stories I hear, the risky calls, the big wins, and the big, big courage of these unique leaders because they have so much to offer anyone who's leading a business or anyone who wants to lead a purpose-driven life. This is the inspiration for the Good Company Podcast. If you want to be more productive, attract the best people, and achieve more positive impact, stay with us. I'm Barbara Shannon, your host, and you are in good company. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Rachel Shepard, the Director of Global Marketing at Founder Institute, the world's largest pre-seed startup accelerator, where she orchestrates, implements, and designs the company's branding and digital marketing strategies in more than 180 cities and more than 70 countries. Rachel is also the co-creator and builder of the Founder Institute's Female Founder Initiative, a community to help women around the world start, build, and fund their startup companies. Rachel's goal is to increase the ratio of female founders in the Founder Institute global portfolio to 40% by the end of 2020. Welcome, Rachel. Why don't you start by telling us what is so important about the Female Founder Initiative? Myself and our head of admissions, Megan Todd, we, we created this together. And we did that because we just saw that there weren't a lot of women applying to the Founder Institute program. And we saw this in all over the world. It wasn't in a specific location per se. It wasn't by region. It was just all over the world. There were programs that just weren't very gender balanced. And we believe on a much higher scale that if you're able to create more gender equity at the founder stage, that will play into all the different pieces of a startup ecosystem. So Startup ecosystem, meaning the investors, the co-working spaces, the mentors, the advisors, all of the different pieces that go into building a startup because it takes a village to do so. All of those pieces need to be diverse. And a great way for us as Founder Institute to impact that and to make that change was to lower some barriers for women to start startups. And we did that by offering fellowships all over the world. We still do now. And also sort of running startup-focused events for women and saying, Startups are just as much for women as they are for everyone else. And here's a great way to come into a room and learn from people who've done it already and really start to lean on our, our existing female mentor network to share their experiences and their stories. Because I think it's super important for people to be able to see their path, see where they're going. And if at Founder Institute, if we could create more gender equity at the early stage for female founders, that I believe will ultimately lead to more female investors, advisors, mentors and many other important roles in startup ecosystems, and we're able to do it across 180 plus cities. So take us up another level to the meta reason. You know, what is really at stake here? I mean, obviously, to most of us, equity is incredibly important just on the basis of fairness and justice and what's right. Mm -hmm. And it's never fair to have any group unevenly disadvantaged. Imagining that 
you're successful. And we do get gender parity. And more women are founding startups and sitting on boards and raising funds and getting into VC and mentoring and supporting. What's the outcome, you know, in a bigger sense that really matters? The outcome for me breaks down into two things. The first of which is, especially right now, the future will be built without us if we are not there. This is reaching out to every group who is marginalized in their society, in their country, and and most especially in technology, because startups and tech are going to be a huge part of our future. The world went digital and did so fast, right? In the last few months as, as part of coronavirus and you know, the current global pandemic that we're fighting right now. And so as we start to build the future, everybody needs to be represented in those rooms. As many people as possible from as many cultural backgrounds, religious backgrounds, you know, gender, sexual orientation, we need to consider everybody's thought process and how we go about building a future. Otherwise, it will be a future built for one type of person. A great example of this is AI technology, right, which has been a part of a, the conversation and a bit controversially for a while because AI technology was being built by one type of person at a large scale and was being built without being inclusive to many, many, many different people. And so when I say that that's the first part that's at stake, that's incredibly important. It's our future and everybody should have a hand in building it. The second thing that's important about that is if we exclude people as we go about building a new future, we are going to keep ourselves behind the eight ball in terms of social progression and economic progression. Because especially when it comes to putting money in women's hands, it has been proven time and time again that if you can do that and you give women more rights and more social equity and more equity in general in a region, you will profit from that economically. Everybody will. And like just as in the United States, we make 80% of the purchasing decisions. And so if we don't have the money to spend, guess what? The economy is going to start to slow down. So by putting more money in women's hands, I think you you can do a lot and it benefits everyone. So even if you don't feel altruistically that this is important, it does matter to you because it matters to everyone. Brilliant. (laughs) Applause from over here. (laughs) <laughs> from over here in Oakland. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I, I was trying to think about how to word that accordingly. And it's, yeah, so I, I, thought, I thought it through a little bit, but yeah, I think those are the two biggest things for sure. I think that's absolutely right. That is the big picture. That is what's at stake. So I'm wondering, you have kind of a catbird seat because you're at the Founders Institute, which up until your voice spoke out and your colleague's voice spoke out, Megan's, Mostly, most of the founders applying and participating in the program were men. Now that you have women participating, I'm wondering how women compare to their male counterparts. Can you share any data regarding their performance relative to men or anything that's interesting about the way that women engage as founders versus the way men do? Yeah, I definitely can. So statistically speaking, from that standpoint, women are 10% more likely to be accepted to Founder Institute and are 8% more likely to complete the program. So if they That's get incredible. in, yeah, if they get in, they're more likely to make it to the end than their male counterparts. And we have a high dropout rate because our program is hard because building startups is hard. Uh, and we're not here to make people feel better about it per se. We're here to help them build startups. So it is a tough program. And a lot of founders out there can speak to that for sure. 
but women are more likely to make it to the end. And they're also more likely to be accepted if they apply. Regarding making it to the end, Mm -hmm. why is that? Do you think that we just have a higher pain threshold? (laughs) (laughs) I think that, you know, one of the things that's talked about quite a bit about women founders is we are very accurate at assessing our abilities. We don't overestimate what we are capable of. And it sometimes can, that's a double-edged sword, right? So sometimes you need to be a little overconfident in order to get out there in front of investors and sell people on a dream that you're still working on. And there's so much that comes into being incredibly confident, but women are traditionally not overconfident as founders. And so I think the reason we are more likely to be accepted and more likely to complete it in general as a gender is because we've assessed it and thought it through long before they've ever come to us, right? So so female founders, before they even apply or before they even attempt to take our program, they've really thought it through. And I've even seen that in my conversations with female founders who are considering the program and the questions they ask me and things like that. They're really trying to make sure it's a good fit. And they're really trying to make sure they have the time and energy to be able to complete the program before they do it. So I think it's something that's a, a gender norm that we actually see quite a bit and female founders, or at least it's something that's talked about, not to generalize by any means, but it is something that's talked about a lot. And I think that that maybe plays into why they're more successful in the program. Amazing. Not surprising. No, and, you know, they're no. very accurate. So it's, it's about knowing what you're capable of and then going out and executing. But another thing I would say too, that seems to be a trend with female founders is community. Women are very community focused. And I, I see that all the time where there's this like very incredible generosity of you've helped me. What can I do for you? I never, I almost never end a female founder call without like a, thank you so much. Is there anything I can do to support you or the initiative or, you know, things like that. And I see that play out in a lot of different ways and a lot of female support for other female founders, which is huge because all ships rise with the tide, right? Like we need to be in this together, but I think it's even more important as we start to look to a more digital future and the importance of digital communities in general, I think that that's going to play a large role in in the success of female founders. Absolutely. That's what's unique about women. I'm wondering also on the flip side, you've mentioned in our previous conversations that the men at Founders Institute are very supportive of what you're starting to do with women. Why is that? What do they see for them or at large in supporting women? Hopefully it's not just a protective mechanism to check a box. I'm sure it isn't. How are they viewing what you're doing? I think they view it as very important and strategic, which kind of goes back to the conversation we had earlier about what's at stake, right? So I think for some of the men in, in our organization, it's it's somewhat personal. Like they feel like they're really fighting for the future of their daughters, they're fighting for the future of the women in their lives. They want to make sure that equity is just at a very core level. It's fundamentally important to them. But I do think that it's also seen as a strategic initiative, right? Like it is incredibly important to focus on impact at our company, at Founder Institute. We have really started to make that a greater and greater part of our brand over the years because our CEO said this in a, in a talk in 2018, which I thought was was very well said, which is the world is shifting to a world of working with, not working for. So in order to get people to work with you, you have to have these very strong core values that make it so that people believe in what you're doing. They believe in the fact that you are going to be successful. And I think for us, in order to do that, we cannot be ignoring or passively marketing to half of the world's population. 
we have to be able to say like, no, we actually do care about female founders. It's not just lip service. We're not just out there saying that we do care about female founders and we want to support them. And I think they knew that by giving us our, their support and by saying like, you can run with this and you can do what you need to do to help female founders all over the world and leverage our existing networks and systems and everything like that. I think that they knew that by helping us, they would be taking us a huge step forward because it's really important to have a CEO stand on a stage and say, like, it's important for us to be working with female founders. Yeah, that's great. It's funny how once it gets personal, a shift occurs. I'm the oldest of five women, no brothers. My dad, yeah, you know, my dad back in the day went to Dartmouth College when it was all men. And as he became successful, he gave money to the institution and believed profoundly in the value of an all-male school. Then Dartmouth went co-ed, and it was the first choice for my sister. And he had written all these letters when they went Mm co-ed about how this was the wrong way to go, and it wasn't upholding tradition. And then she wanted to go there, and he had to write new letters and send new checks. And unfortunately, (laughs) she was admitted, and suddenly, you know, he he realized he hadn't been supporting his own family by way of his beliefs. Yeah. I think that happens for a lot of people. And I think that while it's difficult, I try to make room for that, you know, to make sure that like, if, if you don't get it yet, maybe you will one day when it becomes personal to you. But also, you know, there's many, many, many good reasons for supporting women. Most importantly, that inclusion of any group is not oppression of the existing majority groups by any means, we are only growing the pie. So there's so many reasons to move forward. And and I do think if it takes it becoming personal to a person, then okay. And I'm always happy to have that conversation and let them know how they could help us or other female founders or, or any other organization worth supporting. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. I, I had mentioned to you that I have a very good male friend. Mm-hmm. And uh, after Me Too, he was really struggling with he works for a, a large financial services firm, which, I mean, financial services is the dinosaur, and it still is mostly men. And he really didn't know what he could do. You know, he's, we try to find women to bring in to hire, and we're not very successful. We're still mostly men. I think he was also feeling very marginalized, just in terms of, you know, I, I mentioned to you, this is, he's a big guy, a college athlete. I think he's six, six or something like that. So he walks in a room and he's a really big white man wearing a big suit, just what nobody wants to see anymore in his mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think he is feeling, you know, he was at that time feeling ostracized by me too. He was feeling like the ground had shifted under him. He wanted, he's from a very progressive family, wanted to do the right thing and wanted to do the right thing in his own heart and for the firm. But didn't know what to do. What do you say to somebody in that position? Yeah. So I, based on our last conversation and what a great thing to do, first of all, for him to open up to you about that, to talk to you and say like, there's more I want to do. And I just don't know what to do. Right. It was Um, an amazing heartfelt conversation. I really couldn't believe I was having it. And I couldn't believe how upset, really deeply upset he was. Yeah. That genuine sort of that genuine feeling of I want to help and I don't know how is a really great door opener to have amazing conversations because there is a lot he can do, right? Partially because of his position and his company, 
and who he is. And so I think that there's a lot he can do. The, the first thing I would say is if, if you feel like you are being marginalized in some way, you now have more empathy for people who are marginalized systemically. You, you now know how they feel. So that's that's the empathy piece. That's the piece that makes it personal. So for a lot of people, it's it just takes that one opportunity for them to understand what this looks like in their life, to feel more strongly to do extra things, to make sure that their work environment or you know, even their community are more inclusive. So the the first thing I would say to, to him would be, if you are having a hard time hiring women, have you ever asked them why they say no? That would be something worth doing. And because a lot of times it's, you know, you walk into a room and you you see what you're getting yourself into. As a, as a woman, you may be like, ah, oh, that's not a great fit for me. But you never say that. Uh, or, or maybe you do. And if you have an opportunity, but I would say the first thing they could do is culturally talk to the women in their company, ask, why they feel that they're not able to hire more women, you know, ask the right questions and show that you care. And if you have that genuine standpoint to begin with, I mean, you'll get lots and lots and lots of feedback and opportunities to move forward and improve things. I've had these conversations with lots of people, and I think it's so refreshing to just have a conversation about it and be like, here's what I think could be better, you know, at your company. And and to be asked, people love giving their opinions. And I think women would it's a a really great step in the right direction to be asked because that's a step towards inclusion, right? The second I would say is to look around in your organization for talented people who look differently than you or from different backgrounds than you. So even if it's women, if it's people of a different cultural background, if it's somebody you know who just deserves an opportunity and is not getting it, find a way to bring them to the decision-making table. What are the markers for founder success, do you have a story or two that you could tell about, you know, how a woman founder negotiated some of the real challenge, the typical challenges that come up? One of the things I would say is I have definitely seen some female founders who have incredible grit. They just have this dedication to what they're building and not in a way where it's they're not coachable or anything like that because that's an important part about being a founder is is being coachable but more and so in a way that they they know what they believe in they know what they're good at they will stop at nothing to make it happen and they should right they should feel that driven and i've seen it just go so far where they're getting told no left right and center and that that happens when you're raising around right you're going to be told no we approximate about 99 times. So it takes 100 meetings to get a round of funding. So approximately 99 times you will have to hear no. And it is really, really difficult as a human to be told no that many times and to not start to second guess yourself or feel like maybe you shouldn't be doing this or maybe now's not the right time. There's so many things that happen when you're told no that often. And to see female founders, w- founders in general just succeed through that is cr- pretty incredible. You know, that's where I would think that, you know, the woman's tendency to underestimate our abilities or talents, you know, and to not have sometimes as strong an ego as we really need for a high achievement would play negatively against us. How do your women founders who succeed summon the ego strength? Where does that grit come from? I think it comes from the community of other founders. Like to a certain extent, I'm not a founder but I can certainly be a cheerleader for them, right? Like I can certainly tell them when I get off the phone with them, like, I really like what you're doing. I think it's awesome. And I think you're doing a great job. 
I try to say that as many times as I can, because I know that they're being told other things by other people. And, and it, I can say that with honesty, because I also give them a lot of very honest feedback. Like, here's a lot of things I think you could improve and do, but it doesn't mean that I don't think you can do it. And I don't know if that's said enough to founders. And not that I think that they all need to be, you know, cared for and told that they're awesome, but there is a level of, you know, it becomes personal when you're told that no that many times and you're told a lot of criticisms. It's it's not about you. It's about your company, but it feels personal because it's it's taking everything you've got. So I think by being able to, to lean on other female founders and to lean on people who are going through the same thing, that's huge. Well, you know, you're singing to my heart here because I so believe it's not just female founders. It's not just founders, but, you know, I coach CEOs and I have two groups mm-hmm. and I will always try to put people in a group because there's nothing lonelier than running a company. And your founders, as they go on and grow their businesses, go through their rounds and the bigger it gets and the higher they go, the lonelier and more isolated you become. Mm-hmm. And having a group of peers who you trust is second to none in terms of support. I mean, I like to think I'm a good coach, but sometimes I just sit back in the room and watch them support each other. And I feel like everything I know I learned from sitting in the room with brilliant founders and CEOs. Well, this has been amazing, Rachel. You are so impressive, so inspiring, and so articulate. I knew the minute we spoke that I would be thrilled if you'd accept coming on the B-Suite as a guest. I know that you'll be back again. I look forward to staying connected with you. And I'll close with, what can I do for you? How can I... How can I support the amazing, how can our listeners support the amazing work that you're doing at the Women's Founder Initiative? Yeah. So uh, thank you, Barbara. Thank you for having me on here and and for those lovely remarks. I'm truly honored to be here and to be sharing my humble opinion as far as it goes for for female founders. Your humble, emphatic opinion. (laughs) Yes, yes, (laughs) that's correct. Yeah. For people, if they want to get involved, it's femalefounderinitiative.com if you're looking for resources. Right now, I think one of the the best things we could ask for too is more mentorship so and more leadership. So if women want to run a founder institute program somewhere around the world that we aren't already running or you know even join a team that's in existence, we're hoping to reach the world with our virtual program and help any founder who wants help. Well, that's great. And I think that should be our next conversation. I'd love to talk to you more about that and sure. uh, write something on it and, and put it out there and... Uh, Maybe there's a way that I could participate and support. Yeah, that would be amazing. We'd love to have you in femalefounderinitiative.com if you're interested. If you have any feedback, you can send it to me. I'm on the receiving end of all of those emails and contact information on that. So we want to help women launch, grow, and fund their companies. If you have any ideas on how we can expedite that, if you need help, anything, let me know. Excellent. Thank you so much, Rachel Shepard. Thanks, Barbara. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. You do the same. Thanks. Bye-bye. Huge gratitude to Rachel Shepard for joining us today, and kudos to her extraordinary vision and tenacity in conceiving and leading Female Founder Initiative. If you want to follow Rachel, you'll find her on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash R-S-H-E-P 29. And if you'd like to know more about Female Founder Initiative, go to their website, Female Founder Initiative. 
If you like what you're hearing, you'll find all the Good Company podcast recordings on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. If you're curious about working with me, send me an email, barbara at shannon-solutions.com. This episode and all the Good Company podcasts are produced with the help from the amazing team at Resonate Recordings. Till next time, stay strong and carry on. I'm Barbara Shannon, and you've been listening to the Good Company Podcast.